Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. If you hear a little background static in today's episode, it is because I am out of the swole station, meaning I'm not in the office. I am recording remotely, and where I'm at, there's um, a lot of glass and a bit of a peaceful drizzle outside. So um, just bear with me and enjoy the background serenity uh, as we plow ahead in this episode. If you haven't checked out last week's episode number 37, Grain-Fed Beef, be sure to listen to that one too because it coincides with today's episode. Also, you should follow me on Facebook and Instagram if you haven't yet, and please reach out if you need some help. Call a friend, email me, whatever you need to do. Just keep an open line of communication with somebody. Giving up is never an option. Uh, Go listen to some of the past episodes we have here in the podcast on mental strength and, and... and mental toughness and stuff. Um, I even go back and tap in to those types of things from time to time. It's okay to get down, but you always have to get back up. Anyways, let's talk beef. The Avidity Fitness Podcast. Grass. It's one of the few nutritious things in nature, the human omnivore, lacking a rumen to break down its cellulose, can't digest. Yet, he can see the salad bar almost as vividly as his cows. Um, That first day I spent on Joel Salatin's farm when he insisted that before I met any animals, I I join him down on his belly in a pasture. He introduced me to orchid grass and fiscue, to red and white clover, to millet and bluegrass, plantain and timothy and sweetgrass, which he pulled a blade of for me to taste, and a very sweet grass it is. Joel wanted me to understand why he calls himself a grass farmer rather than a rancher or a pig farmer or a chicken farmer or a turkey farmer or a rabbit farmer or an egg farmer. The animals come and go, but the grasses, which directly or indirectly feed all the animals, abide, and the well-being of the farm depends more than anything else on the well-being of its grass. Grass farmers grow animals for meat, eggs, milk, and wool, but regard them as part of a food chain in which grass is the keystone species, the nexus between the solar energy that powers every food chain and the animals we eat. To be even more accurate, Joel has said, we should call ourselves sun farmers, The grass is just the way we capture the solar energy. One of the principles of modern grass farming is that to the greatest extent possible, farmers should rely on the contemporary energy of the sun as captured every day by photosynthesis instead of the fossilized sun energy contained in petroleum. All other methods of harvest and transfer require higher capital and petroleum energy inputs and these necessarily lower the return to the rancher or farmer as a florida rancher bud adams once told me quote ranching is a very simple business the really hard part is keeping it simple the simplest ways the simplest way to capture the sun's energy in a form food animals can use is by growing grass these blades are our photovoltaic panels, Joel says, and the most efficient, if not the simplest way to grow vast quantities of solar panels is by management-intensive grazing, a method that, it, as its name implies, 
relies more heavily on the farmer's brain than on capital or on energy-intensive inputs. All you need, in fact, is some portable electric fencing, a willingness to move your livestock onto fresh pasture every day, and the kind of intimate knowledge of grass that Joel tried to impart to me that early spring afternoon down on our bellies in his pasture. The moment arrived, looking more like a matridi than a rancher, Joel opened the gate between the two paddocks, removed his straw hat, and swept it grandly in the direction of the fresh salad bar, and called his cows to their dinner. After a moment of bovine hesitation, the cows began to move, first singingly, singly, then two by two, and then all eighty of them sauntered into the new pasture, brushing past us as they looked about intently for their favorite grasses. The animals fanned out in the new paddock and lowered their great heads, and the evening air filled with the muffled sounds of smacking lips, tearing grass, and the low snuffling of contented cows. The last time I stood watching a herd of cattle eat their supper, I was standing up to my ankles in cow manure in Pokey Feeders Pen number 43 in Garden City, Kansas. The difference between these two bovine dining scenes could not have been starker. The single most obvious difference was that these cows were harvesting their own feed instead of waiting for a dump truck to deliver a total mixed ration of corn that had been grown hundreds of miles away and then blended animal nutritionist, blended by animal nutritionists with urea, antibiotics, minerals, and the fat of other cattle in a feedlot laboratory. Here we brought the cattle to the food rather than the other way around, and at the end of their meal, There'd be nothing left for us to clean up, since the cattle would spread their waste exactly where it would do the most good. Cows eating grasses that had themselves eaten the sun. The food chain at work in this pasture could not be any shorter or simpler, especially when I compared it to the food chain passing through the feedlot. With its transcontinental tentacles reaching all the way back to cornfields in Iowa, from there to the hypoxic zone and the Gulf of Mexico and farther still to the oil fields of the Persian Gulf that had supplied much of the energy to grow the corn. The flaked number two corn in Steer 534's feed bunk linked him to an industrial, not to mention military complex that reached halfway around the world. I had thought the victory of corn over grass might owe to the fact that a field of corn simply produces more total food energy than an acre of grass. It certainly looks that way, but researchers at the Land Institute have studied this question and calculated that in fact more nutrients are produced, protein and carbohydrate, in an acre of well-managed pasture than in an acre of field corn. How can this be? Because a polyculture of grass with this wide diversity of photosynthesizers exploiting every inch of the land as well as every moment of growing season captures more solar energy and therefore produces more biomass than a cornfield. Also, only the kernels are harvested from a cornfield, whereas virtually all the grass grown in a pasture finds its way into the rumen. Even so, the temptations of cheap corn are powerful as irresistible as the temptations of cheap energy. Even before the advent of the feedlot, farmers had begun using a little corn to finish their cattle, fatten them for slaughter, whenever they ran out of good grass, especially in the fall and winter. 
Quote, when you are trying to finish cattle, Allen Nation pointed out, corn covers a multitude of sins. Cattlemen found that corn, being such a dense source of calories, produced meat more quickly than grass. It also produced a more reliably consistent product, eliminating the seasonal and regional differences you often find in grass-finished beef. Over time, the knowledge that went into growing grass good enough to finish cattle all the year round gradually was lost. Along the way, corn kept getting more plentiful and ever cheaper. When the farmer found that he could buy corn more cheaply than he could ever hope to grow it, it no longer made economic sense to feed animals on the farm, so they moved into confined animal feed operations, also known as CAFOs. The farmer who then plowed up his pasture to grow corn to market found he could take off to Florida in the winter and not work so hard. To help dispose of the rising mountain of cheap corn farmers were now producing, the government did everything it could to help wean cattle off grass and onto corn by subsidizing the building of feedlots through tax breaks and promoting a grading system based on marbling that favored corn-fed over grass-fed beef. The government also exempted CAFOs from most clean air and clean water laws. In time, the cattle themselves changed. As the industry selected for animals that did well on corn, these animals, generally much bigger, had trouble getting all the energy they needed from grass. In dairy, farmers moved to superproductive breeds like the Holstein, whose energy requirements were so great they could barely survive on a diet of grass. So there are great many reasons American cattle came off the grass and into the feedlot, and yet all of them finally come down to the same one. Our civilization and, increasingly, our food system are strictly organized on industrial lines. It prizes consistency, mechanization, predictability, interchangeability, and economies of scale. Everything about corn meshes smoothly with the gears of this great machine. Grass doesn't. Grain is the closest thing in nature to an industrial commodity. Storable, portable, fun fungible, ever the same today as it was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Throughout history, governments have encouraged their farmers to grow more than enough grain to protect against famine, to free up labor for other purposes, to improve the trade balance, and generally augment their own power. In an industrial eco economy, the growing of grain supports the larger economy, the chemical and the biotech industries, the oil industry, pharmaceuticals, without which they couldn't help animals they couldn't keep animals healthy in those um, CAFOs, agribusiness, and the balance of trade. Growing corn helps drive the very industrial complex that drives it. No wonder the government subsidizes it so lavishly. You cannot say any of these things about grass. The government writes no subsidy checks to grass farmers. Grass farming with skill involves so many variables and so much local knowledge that it is difficult to systemize. As faithful to the logic of biology as a carefully grazed pasture is, it meshes poorly with the logic of industry, which has no use for anything it cannot bend to its wheels and bottom line. And at least for the time being, it is the logic of industry that rules. This is an excerpt from Michael Pollan's book called The Omnivore's Dilemma where he visited a polyculture farm in Virginia, I believe, ran by a man named Joel Salatin. 
and he documents the process of raising grass-fed cattle. And this is also the same book and the same author, obviously, that wrote, uh, that I did the podcast last week, or at least opened the podcast last week with an excerpt from the same book, just covering a a grain-fed cow that he followed through a feedlot and the industrial meat system. Um, Yeah, so it's really insightful. It's an extreme difference from the grain-fed cattle that he followed in last episode and you know the the differences like how he was standing just in a beautiful grass pasture uh watching these cattle you know get to freely roam and and find the the different timothy grasses or sweet grass that they like the most and they're eating natural food that's you know grown naturally on the pasture as opposed to when he was standing almost knee-deep in cow manure, uh, watching his cattle just stuck inside of a pen and, you know, had had no, had nowhere to roam, nowhere to move, like, can't even sit down. I think that's what he mentions in that, in that segment of the book is, like, when they get into those, um, feedlot cattle pens, they just keep getting fatter and fatter, and all they do is they, they have a food trough right in front of them, and that's it. They can't even lay down. They can't, they can't turn around, they can't they just can't move so you know these are the things that i think about when i hear or read somebody saying that there is no real difference between grass-fed and grain-fed beef because clearly there is a huge difference not only in the quality of meat produced but also in the environmental impact because in the in the you know he gets really i encourage everybody to read this book especially if you're trying to understand nutrition and the evolution of our diets um, better. You know, if you're if you're really trying to get a good understanding of of where we are in society with how we approach our nutrition, um, this is a, a great book to read. Obviously, it's called The Omnivore's Dilemma, so that kind of tells you everything you need to know. You know, uh, about what's in the book, but it's really insightful and. Uh, uh, he gets he gets really in depth on how in the in the conventional grain fed system how like a lot of those chemicals that are used to keep the the cattle healthy enough to make it to slaughter like a lot of those chemicals get like run off you know when it rains and stuff they run off into the streams which make it into the oceans and uh that's what he was talking about when he's saying that they reach all the way to the hypoxic zone of the Gulf of Mexico. And so, like, he really gets really, really in-depth with the differences and the quality and uh, the environmental impact that the two have, uh, you know. And it just bothers me. It really does. It bothers me because I hear I hear the argument all the time about, what's the difference between grass-fed and grain-fed and it's always by somebody that doesn't really know what they're talking about they're usually not very healthy um at least they're not in good shape and they don't really necessarily eat all that well and they're usually the ones that are defending grain-fed beef and trying to say that you know there's no there's no difference like what you're wasting money is is what i hear a lot 
you know, from coworkers. I'm not going to name any names because I know some of you listen to the podcast. Uh, family members, too. You know, I, I hear it all the time. Online, social media influencers. You know I love to bang on their heads. But there's all types of articles, hit articles that are written to try to take down meat in general. Um, but especially like grass-fed beef, and I think that that type of, uh, like, that type of thought process is is misguided, you know, like, that's not what we need to be fighting over and, and trying to rally against, we need to rally against these big, uh, these big contained, confined feedlots and stuff, like, the, the, the big operations that are pumping cattle full of pharmaceutical drugs and feeding them, uh, mixtures of processed food and stuff. That's who we need to be rallying against, not meat as a whole. But anyway, I, I digress on all that. I just want to get the point across that there is a difference between the two, and all the all the evidence points to grass-fed beef just being better all around. Many studies have come to show. The way cows are fed can have a significant effect on the nutrient composition of their beef. Grass-fed beef contains five times as much omega-3 and twice as much CLA as grain-fed beef, both of which are healthy and important fatty acids. See, uh, I hear an argument a lot of the time saying that, you know, animal fats are really good for us. We, We know that. We all understand that. And people that are arguing for grain-fed beef they say well grain-fed beef has a lot more animal fat in it than grass-fed beef does and that's true but not not all fat is good there's some that you only need a little bit of and there's some that uh an abundance of is a good thing and even though grass-fed beef has less total fat than grain-fed beef does it is way higher in the the good, the vital, the important fats like the omega-3s and the CLAs. So that's not a good argument because even though the grain-fed beef has more fat, um, the grass-fed beef has a higher content of the good fat. So grass-fed beef wins that argument every time. Grass-fed beef is also much higher in vitamin A, vitamin E, and it's rich in other antioxidants. I know that when I started learning the difference between the two, I began understanding like the biological process more. And I can say without a doubt that grass-fed beef has a much cleaner flavor profile, in my opinion. And I can't help but think that it's directly related to the better nutrient profile. I mean, it just makes sense to me. These, these are not made-up studies. I just don't see how the process of polycultural farming wouldn't positively affect the end product. This is a source of nutrients that can help your weak ligaments, help correct deficiencies, calm inflammation, and balance amino acids. The extra healthy fats are known to calm the immune system, help burn fat, and heal allergies. Also, studies have found that well-managed Grazing systems can manage soil carbon levels and reduce the production of greenhouse gases. One way to reduce rising CO2 levels in the air is to increase the storage of carbon in the soil. 
Artificial fertilizers that grow corn for grain-fed cattle are not the answer. They throw off the soil's ecosystem, plus the CO2 released from fossil fuel combustion during the production, transport, and application of nitrogen fertilizer also reduces the amount of carbon concealed into the soil. Yes, the industrial meat industry is a problem. This doesn't mean go vegan or vegetarian to try to save your health and the planet. I mean, I'm not knocking you if that's what you want to try to do, but I'm just saying like that's not the immediate answer. It just means you need to do your due diligence so you can make informed decisions. Eat grass-fed organic meat sourced as locally as possible. Organic grass-fed meat provides more nutrients and less toxins than grain-fed meat with more antioxidants, omega-3s, trace minerals, and vitamins than any other food while helping the environment rather than hurting it. If you haven't tried a grass-fed steak yet, get yourself together and try one. You will feel the difference after you eat it and you will help our planet too. Alright, alright, alright. Before I let you get out of here, because I know you're late for the gym. I know that's where you're headed to. Just hold on real quick. Listen to me. I'm looking for some coffee sponsors. I've been teasing it. Um, I'm trying to get on with Purify Coffee Roasters in Spring, Texas. I haven't tried the Hebrew Espresso coffee yet because I haven't ran out of the last coffee that I, I bought like last month. So I'm almost done with it. When I'm done with it, I'm going to try that Purify uh, Hebrew Espresso and I'll leave a review on here. I'm not sponsored yet, so this is a complete free plug for them. Um, but yeah, so if you're, if you're with Purify, you know somebody at Purify, uh, tell them to check out the episode so they can hear the review. Um, and other than that, if you or somebody you know is uh, with a coffee company and you would like to sponsor a fitness show, hit your boy up. Uh, and as always, if you don't know, um, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram for additional fitness and health related content just type in avidity fitness and look for the green pulse logo i post uh you know little videos every once in a while updates on my workouts uh little little memes fitness memes uh motivational quotes i post articles um that i think are inspirational or helpful uh you know it's just a cool place to to connect with the fitness community so follow me over there, and also if you think this show is worth uh, a few cents, you can become a show supporter at anchor.fm slash aviditifitness. Um, there's a couple different tiers. I think it's 99 cents is the lowest per month. So if, if you want to support the show, you can do it that way. And also just for all of my people that... Are especially in the south and southeast of the United States and down here in Texas. Uh, be safe out there. I know it's pretty treacherous on the roads with this ice storm that we got, the winter storm of 2021. Um, and some of you know I'm originally from Colorado, so this is kind of my element. I'm enjoying every bit of it, but you know, the south isn't built for this. You know, we're having rolling power outages, millions and millions of. Uh, Texans are without power for, you know, I, I've, I've, I'm reading some people have been out of power for like over 40 hours. So I know it's rough. We all just kind of got to stick together and endure 
and try to keep a positive mindset um and let this be a nice little lesson for perspective you know whenever remember remember times like this on a sunny day when you're in a bad mood remember like you know it could be worse we could you know be locked down with frozen pipes and and no heat in the house so i just want to say be safe if you're going to go out there and drive uh, just take it slow take it easy there's no need to be in a rush because if you spin out of control and fly off the highway then uh all your plans are going to be wrecked anyway so just slow down be careful be safe and uh i, th I think this might have inspired me to bring back one more round of the hoodies before the end of winter so if you didn't get a hoodie message me you might you might just convince me to run one more campaign on the hoodies before next winter let me know stay frosty